The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Jose Hernandez, was an electrical engineer, a self-described atheist, and closed-minded skeptic when at age 46 after a minor accident at work, he was given a medication in the emergency room that he was severely allergic to. That mistake changed Jose's life completely. He flatlined for five minutes and experienced a journey that shattered every belief in science he had held so dear. Jose's life changed dramatically as a result of this near-death experience. He endured a long and grueling physical and emotional recovery and spent years in counseling trying to reconcile what had happened to him. He was introduced to IONS and finally embraced his experience and new life path. He's now a talented artist, gifted intuitive, and his art hangs in permanent installations and healing centers across the U.S. and Canada. Together with his wife, Anastasia, Jose developed a mindfulness practice called Inner Immersion, which is engineered to help others shed the layers which keep them from connecting with their true selves, the very self Jose discovered during his NDE. Jose's art, originally intended for meditation, is created as portals for the healing energy he saw on the other side. Jose, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, it's our pleasure. Jose, you you told me that you were a dedicated atheist before your NDE. Were you raised in a religious tradition? And what was it that convinced you there was no life after we die? Well, uh, my mother was Catholic. And uh, my father was uh, part indigenous, so... uh, they had their different views to begin with, so uh, I was exposed to that uh, and uh, was required to go to church, of course, by my mother. Yes. Uh, I, I began to feel that church was more, well, the way I viewed it was more like a business and uh, fed off of people's fears. So that if I didn't do this, I would wind up going to hell, or if I didn't, you know, I, I just didn't feel that if, if God was what he was supposed to be, that that was the way that religion should be kind of like uh, built. So, mm-hmm. yeah, as I began to grow up and uh, decided that I wanted to study more of a, a science type of uh, uh, practice, I uh, just began to move away from the church and ultimately became firmly entrenched in the fact that uh, everything could be resolved through numbers and, and science. So mm-hmm. there was nothing we wouldn't be able to know, given the time and, to research and, and things like that. And that probably even led into your career as an engineer, I would think. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. surely shaped uh, where I wanted to go. So, uh, you know, and then, of course, you start thinking about economics. And uh, at the time, engineering was really kind of like the hot thing, and uh, it offered a a decent future. Well, now at 46, you had a near-death experience. Tell us about that. Well, I broke my ribs at work, and uh, 
wound up in the hospital, and they gave me some uh, some pills, and uh, they were basically painkillers with uh, an uh, anti-inflammatory component. Uh, the anti-inflammatory is uh, was Motrin, and uh, about an hour after they had given it to me, I started to have real difficulty breathing, and I kind of asked if that was okay, and then, of course, they told me it was normal uh, uh, until uh, a bit later, I started to struggle with the breathing, and it began to become more intense, and then, of course, you're sitting there, and you're a guy that grew up in the South Bronx, and you're supposed to be tough, so I'm saying this is going to be over this before I know it. It's going to be okay. And uh, I kind of took a while before I actually, you know, pushed the button to call the nurse. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, when I did push it, uh, the nurse finally came in and she just looked at me. She just hit the cold boo. Mm. And uh, my journey began. Wow. And what what happened? What did you see? Well, you know, I, I had a, an experience of uh, uh, several emotions, and the first one that that I experienced was incredibly enough shame as I was laying in this bed, and everybody ran in this room and just stripped me down, and I was so weak that I was unable to even hang on to the sheet that had been covering me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I went through the few seconds where I thought about my family and what was going to happen to them. And uh, ultimately, you know, I didn't believe in God, but then I said, well, maybe this is a good time to call for help just in case. And so I asked God, uh, you know, if you're real, this is your chance to kind of show me. And of course, nothing happened and my heart became very irregular, began to stop. And as I was looking out across the room, and, and I could see the entryway, the doorway to, to the room, and it was very, very bright, and I could almost see a shadow there. And uh, it came this moment where I realized that there was nothing I could do to keep myself alive. I had tried everything I could, and uh, so I kind of began saying to myself, you know what, it, it's okay to die. You're not quitting. There's no shame. Uh, you know, so maybe I should just accept this. And, you know, after I went through this initial, this, this tremendous fear, because I, I didn't have anywhere to hang my hat. I didn't have a, I didn't believe in anything. So my perception was I was going to be shut off like a light bulb and just disappear and become nothing. Uh, I could see this shadow standing by the door. And I said, you know what, it's okay. And I see this shadow just kind of move in the room and kind of reach out and just touch me. And the minute that uh, the shadow touched me, I just felt this intense feeling of peace and calm. And um, you've heard this probably often, that overwhelming sense of love and, and, and an amazing, amazing feeling. And I was no longer struggling with my breathing. I was no longer struggling anymore. I felt perfectly healthy and fine. And I felt this breeze. And I felt like I was being lifted. Mm. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm standing in the corner of the room. And I'm looking at uh, everything that's going on. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing these doctors trying to keep me alive. And uh, 
I asked myself a very important question, and this is the question that really changed my life. And the question was, that's me and I'm dead. But if that's me, then who am I? So my journey became one where I wanted to kind of discover who I am and, and find out who I really am because I realized I'm not who this being is in this body or this body is not me. I'm a lot more than that. So the next thing I know, I'm kind of hearing a voice that says to me, you know, this is kind of visualize your body as a car. And this car has like 3 million miles in it and there's nothing we could do to fix it. So you got to say goodbye. And I had this experience for the first time in my life of really appreciating and loving this vessel that I had lived this life in. And uh, I started to get a bunch of memories, but the memories that I had were very benign versus the, the typical, you know, you, you think you would remember all these incredibly dramatic moments in your life, but I remember such simple, simple events like holding my little brother's hand and somebody smiling and a hug and, and just all these little, little simple things that we experience every day that we just take for granted and never even think about. And uh, the voice said to me, okay, it's kind of like time to go, and we started moving on. And it felt like I was falling for a bit and like something was being ripped off of me. So it was, for a few minutes, it, it felt really painful. But then when I got to the bottom, the only way I could describe it, because it felt like I fell through like a black hole or something, um, I started to see this amazing world. And then the first thing I saw was the color. And everything that I looked at possessed the same spark of life that we own in this world. And uh, I started to become in immediately so fascinated and, of course, feeling this wonderful feeling. Uh, I'm, I'm actually moving through this space, and I ask what's going to happen to my children, and I hear a voice that says to me, don't worry, I can see them from there. So that made me absolutely calm. And the next thing I say, yeah, but I'm kind of like flying, and I hear the voice say to me, that's normal here. <laughs> and anyway, I went on this amazing journey. Well, I was dead only a few minutes. It felt like I was in this space for a day and a half. But ultimately, I'm crossing all of these amazing, amazing vistas. And, and it's really like mountains and, and trees and herds of animals running everywhere in the place. And there's just this sense of peace and calm and this warmth and feeling of love that I can never explain. And then kind of like you can communicate with everything at one time. And you're hearing this tremendous chatter. And I begin to realize that the chatter is coming from from even the color, you know. Mm. And uh, anyway, ultimately, I cross over this amazing vista uh, of mountains, and I see a cove, and, and, and in the horizon, I can see the sun, and I can feel the warmth coming from it, and this just peace and calm. And uh, I begin to think maybe that's what's allowing me to fly, it's giving me this buoyancy, this lift. And I look down and I see a man in the ocean standing 
like knee deep in the water and he's got six children in one hand and one in the other. And I decide that I want to go find out who this person is. So mm -hmm. I kind of go down and I'm about maybe 10 or 12 feet away. And when uh, he turns around, it, it happens to be my father who had passed five years earlier. And uh, the feeling of gratitude that I felt and, and peace was just overwhelming because me and my father had a very hard relationship and, uh, you know, he used to drink a lot and was abusive and, and uh, we had a very difficult relationship, he and I, and we never had an opportunity to say, you know, we care, we love each other and all those things. And when he died, I had a lot of regret and pain. And now this was my chance to kind of change that. So I had an opportunity to speak with my dad for a while and, we finally said these things that we never had an opportunity to say in life. And it, it, it makes me a bit emotional because it was so important to be able yes. to make that peace. And uh, anyway, after a bit, he just looked at me and he said, you know, you have to go back. And I just mm -hmm. looked at him and I said, no, I'm not going back. I like it here. And <laughs> he's kind of like, no, you got to go back. You got to go back. And... Uh, I just suddenly feel like something pulling me from the, my chest, but it's pulling me from the back. And I wind up in my body. I know I open my eyes for a split second. I see the doctor performing CPR. And I think when I open my eyes suddenly like that, she kind of just got startled a bit herself and moved back. And yes. then I wound up right back with my father. And uh, we had this debate again. You got to go back, you got to go back. And I'm like, no, no, no. Ultimately, we decided that uh, he looks at me and says, let's make a deal. And the deal was a very simple deal. It was like, look, when your time comes, I'll come and get you. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, wow, that sounds like a pretty good deal. So I said, okay. And then, of course, I wound up back in my body. And uh, I wound up in hospital for three months. Uh and uh, completely changed. Now, one of the issues that I had was I was in the hospital, and I could finally begin to speak a little after about six weeks. I asked my cardiologist, you know, you know, I said to him, yeah, I think I went somewhere. And the first words out of his mouth were, no, you didn't. You had, a, <laughs> uh, you know, your brain is alive for two minutes after your heart stops. So it, you just had a chemical reaction in your brain. And I'm looking at this guy like, oh, boy. So I guess I better not talk about this. And then, then I didn't. I, I just didn't tell anybody. Mm. So that was the, it, uh, the short version of my experience. When you were flying over this uh, vista, which sounds very much like um, um, like like the Earth, but maybe uh, intensified, and then you saw the sun, which sounds you know that that we have uh, you related to the sun. Was that, uh, do you think you were uh, flying over the earth but with different eyes, seeing it in a different way? Yeah, my sense is that wherever we go is, is not very far from this place that we know, uh, from my experience anyway. So, yeah, I, I feel like I was still here and mm -hmm. perhaps at a different level because one of the things that happened right before I died was my senses became like incredibly enhanced. So what I mean by that is I could hear the IV drip 
and it sounded yes. like water splashing on a tin roof. And then I remember looking at the walls, and I could see the grain in the wallpaper, and I was just so, like, fascinated. Now, here you are dying, and you're fascinated by this event. And, and shortly thereafter was when the shadow kind of walked into the room. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe I might have been here because I, I could see the mountains, I could see the clouds, the shadows that they cast. So I knew I was here on Earth somewhere. And the children that your father were, was holding on to, was one of them you? No. I don't know who they were, but I do have seven brothers and sisters, which is quite interesting. Uh, I've always tried to try to understand who they were, but my focus was so concentrated on my dad and that opportunity to make peace that I was aware that they were there, but I, 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 I don't have any recollection of who they were. Yes. Now, you said something really interesting, and that was that the chatter that you heard was even coming from the colors. And now you're an artist <laughs> with a vivid colors in your art. Uh, tell us how um, how your uh, experience is coming through your art. Well, after I made peace with my experience, which took about three and a half years, so I went to psychologists, five different psychologists, uh, for five years, and it wasn't until I met uh, uh, a doctor named Dr. Joyce Newcomb, who I had no idea had an affiliation with IANS, but uh, I went to see her, and she kind of began to tell me, no, this is okay. It took me a while, but she was the first person that I could actually discuss my near-death experience with, and not mm. think that uh, she would think I was crazy. But... Uh, you know, when, when I crossed, the most astounding thing to me was the fact that I had left a space where I thought the living were. And now I was in another place, and in this place where I was theoretically dead, there was so much more life. And even the color, the vibrancy, and, and, and all that of the color. And I remember just hearing this chatter, like millions of voices talking to me at one time. And the incredible thing is that you're able to process that and, and take that information in. Uh, and uh, I decided at one point that perhaps if I could replicate what I saw, it might help people here to kind of process and deal with a lot of the issues that we have here. And so I, it became my journey to try to figure out a way to make uh, or replicate what I saw, and in that that case being color that had life, color that moved. Uh, so when I look at this world, it has a very pastel flavor to me. The colors don't have that intensity that they had, and of course, the life that they had they, they over there. So I started working on wood color, and I started to paint some images, and course, I started to create these more for meditation because I had already started going to IAMS. I began to embrace my experience and uh, I'm thinking, well, maybe we could help others uh, to lose the fear of death that, that we have and, and, and kind of cope with a lot of the issues that we have, so terminal disease and things like that. And uh, so I created these, these images and uh, the idea is to kind of like find yourself. So the premise of the paintings is to discover who I am. So that moment that I saw myself dead, 
And I asked, you know, that that's me and I'm dead. But then if that's me, then who am I? You know, I have this clear understanding that I'm so much more than this 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 being. So while I'm in this body, I look at this body as something that lent to me that I'm using whilst I'm in this plane. And at one point, this body won't be able to continue to survive and I have to kind of migrate from it and move on. So the idea is to find yourself in that painting. And so I paint with hundreds of layers. So I paint and then paint over it and paint over it and paint over it. And the idea is that the original image, which starts on a black canvas, because I paint on a black canvas, is the void, that space where everything kind of really kind of comes together to create everything. And now I have to find my way into that space and I have to get past all these layers that we wrap around ourselves as we live. You know, so all these experiences, traumatic, good, whatever they are, they begin to kind of wrap themselves around me. And before I know it, I'm not that five-year-old. You know, I'm, mm. and that five-year-old is very different from that 15-year-old. And that 15-year-old is different from the 21-year-old. And as we begin to experience more and more in life, we, we kind of almost exist very different lives. And so the idea is to get back to that innocent or more open being that we were when we were very young and, 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 and look through that lens and see what events in my life ultimately were the cause of why I am who I am right now. Mm. And if they were negative or if they were traumatic, you know, how, how can I cope with that now? And instead of looking at it with fear, looking at it with an open mind and, and uh, allowing yourself to perhaps change once you recognize what the problem is. The, uh, the notion that um, uh, everything has consciousness, even inanimate objects like tables and chairs and so forth, uh, is often considered to be an Eastern religious point of view, but people who've had near-death experiences sometimes feel feel that, sense that, and it sounds like um, if anything on Earth would have a consciousness of its own, your paintings, because of, of the intention you're putting into them, would be would have a consciousness so that it's not only the person looking at the painting that's reacting to it, but the painting itself may be feeding information back to the viewer. you think there's any truth to that? Exactly. I think it's, it's all frequency-based. So I understand that color is a wave, and I understand that for that wave or for that color, for me to be conscious of it, it has to move, it has to travel, and it has to reach my eye, and then kind of like go penetrate my eye, get into my brain. My brain processes it at one point and says, oh, this is color red, and it, it's, it's, this is how it looks in this image. So I, I, I feel personally that the universe is all frequency-based. You know, we're in what we call an electromagnetic universe. And so I, I feel that everything is interacting with each other by route of frequency, and I think that's how we communicate uh, with everything. So in my perspective, after my near-death experience, everything on this planet has a frequency and is emitting waves, and that's where I, how I can see it, how I interpret it. And uh, so those waves interact with the waves of my own being because I am color. 
I am all these things myself. So it's kind of like uh, we're all interacting with each other uh, in some capacity. So I believe it's what kind of makes somebody say, wow, I love this thing. Because I mm. believe there is some form of communication happening in a very subtle way that we cannot process in this space. But when we cross, we don't have that limitation. So we have access to a universe of frequency and it's communicating with us all at one time. So it gives me the sense of maybe that's why we feel this tremendous sense of oneness and of knowing uh, simply because we're tapped into this massive resource of information that's always been out there or is out there. Except that in this shell, we're unable to kind of like access it. Now you told me your wife and you have started a, um, a mindfulness practice, and you call it inner immersion. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, the mindfulness practice is completely based on the experience of death, right? So if I could say to myself at one point, you know what, it's okay to die, you know? And if I could say to myself, you know, uh, I need to say goodbye to my body and, and, and I need to move on, then I I just believe that a lot of the issues that we confront in this planet on our in this world are not so insurmountable as we believe at times because they seem to be overwhelming and, uh, you know, like we'll never get over this. But, you know, the reality is that uh, we are incredibly resilient and, uh, you know, we have to become aware of several things, you know, a lot more than what's in this body. There's nothing that is going to stop me from doing some of these things that I want to do and the only thing really stopping me is myself. And once you begin to start thinking about life like that, you know, yes, this happened to me. Maybe I was molested when I was seven. And maybe this happened to me when I was 10. And maybe this happened to me when I was 15. You know, yes, they're a part of my life. They'll always be a part of who I am. It, it's just a choice of how do I deal with that. And And some of these things are horrible and horrific and, it, it, it almost feels impossible to overcome, but once I kind of understand that that's what's making me make decisions. So, for example, someone in, that was abused when they were young and, and they wind up having relationships where they wind up always being abused, you know, maybe understanding that this is what happened, this is what I kind of need to avoid, can lead to a better life and a more fulfilled life. And so the premise behind that is to kind of understand what we do so what I like to do is have people sit down with crayons and paint and uh, become five again. And mm. I think once they begin to paint, even if they do scratchings, we, we sit there, we interpret the art, and they begin to realize how much they say about themselves in these little paintings because I just believe that we need someone to recognize who we are. We need someone to understand what's happened to me. We need somebody to validate who we are, that, that we're living, that we exist, that we're, we're something. And this practice allows people to have that experience and understand that other people recognize who they are and that they, they do exist and that they're someone and they're special. And so that's the premise of, of the practice, and we've been very effective with it in uh, dealing with a lot of issues of abuse and uh, drug addiction and things like that. And so we find with one or two sessions in this practice, we kind of have what we call a breakthrough, 
And uh, because of the way the practice is done, we're always doing it in a group. Mm -hmm. The group kind of builds a trust within themselves. And people actually are able to talk about some of these really painful moments in their life. And I think once we put that out there, it kind of lets us get past it somehow. Yes. And uh, so we've, we've had a large success with it. So, Jose, uh, we're just about out of time, so I'd like you to tell the audience um, how they might get in touch with you, either to see your art or to find out more about Inner Immersion. Yeah, I have a website. It's called innerimmersion.com. And uh, when you go in there, you'll be able to really get an idea of what it is. Uh, I am going to have a video that's coming out that uh, we just did for the medical services here. Uh, we did it in the hospital, and it's called Art as a Conduit for Healing. Uh, so hopefully that video will come out, and I'll post it in the, the website, anyimmersion.com. And I'm very open, and if anybody wants to call and kind of chat with me, that would be great. I'd love to talk about this, and if we could help in any way, that would be amazing. So my number is 954-803-0103. So if anybody has any questions and they'd like to know a little more, you're free to call me. And uh, may not get back to you right away, but I definitely will, and uh, that's how you can reach me. Oh, Jose, thank you. Thank you so much for telling your story. Um, to our audience today. And uh, if anyone out there would like to listen to this show again or any of our more than 230 programs to date, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about IANS, please go to their website at iands.org. And be with us again next week, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks again, Jose, and thanks to the audience for listening.